Hey, Jeff Fuller back with you. Thanks again for making the time. And uh, it's always good to hear people's stories to make our stories much more informed and better as you take time to listen, unlearn what you thought was right, to relearn what is right. One of the tremendous stories, David Schneider, just a quick plug for Jay Fuller Interviews, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Jay Fuller Interviews, now the Backfire Podcast on Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts. You can uh, search there, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. But without further ado, David Schneider. Dave, welcome in. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So first question, that Jordan jersey behind you, is that a real autograph or is that a print? I saw I saw him do it in person at the flight school in 98. So that is the authentic, real thing. Um, pretty much pen to paper on that one back in 1998. So it's authentic and it's getting some dust, about 20 years old now. So well, that's a fact. Well, thanks so much for making the time. I just want to bring up your yeah. website, schneiderspeaks.com, schneiderspeaks.com. Uh, talk to me a little bit. This is a, a picture of the William and Mary basketball court. What was it like for you growing up as far as what's your first memory of basketball? That is a very long story. So my dad coached college basketball for 20 years. So pretty much there was a ball in my crib when I was born. Uh, I played at Virginia Tech back in the 80s, and then he coached uh, for 20 years in college. So started at VCU, then to VMI, up into Bowling Green, where I was born in Toledo, then Tulsa, then Washington State under Kevin Eastman, who was the assistant for Celtics under Doc Rivers. And then he got his head coaching job at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, where he retired in the early 2000s. So Basketball runs deep in my family. Yeah. Uh, my older brother, my dad, and even my younger brother still run a company, Big Shots, where they help kids get scholarships through basketball. So it runs very, very deep in my family. So I, I would say probably when I was about six months old, I had some form of basketball in the crib. So it's it's big, big part of my life. Hey, Dave, talk to me a little bit. Shaka Smart, VCU, that they had that great tournament run for your yep. dad. How proud of he was, or was he with that run, or was he just removed too much when they made that run? So it's special primarily for him because he was part, a lot of the coaches that were with him, and you know basketball, once you're in it, it's it's a very big family. It's uh, everybody kind of knows everybody. So there's always, once you go and either play out of school, play against the school or coach for a school, there's always some form of tie to that school. Special for him primarily just because I got to compete against them in 2010 and they were, we did beat them. Uh, William Mary and VC always had a historic rivalry being an in-state rivalry and they were making final four runs in 2011. I graduated in 2010. So they still had a lot of the same pieces that were there. Um, even the, the fast forward, Rewind a few years when Eric Maynard hit that shot against Duke. I got to play against Eric. I got to play against Joey Rodriguez, who was part of that Shaka Smart team. And it was really special for me, I would say, because of the glory days of the CAA were bookended in my career. So the year before I got to William & Mary, George Mason won the or went to the Final Four with the Laranegas. Um, and then after I left, Shaka made the Final Four run. So I know for my dad, it's always special when he knows coaches. And I know when Tony Bennett won, I know Tony Bennett, my dad, go way back. And given my dad's coaching career, he kind of knows everybody. Um, at this point, he still runs a recruiting service. So I think it was really special for the entire family because I was still removed out of college only for a year, but I still kept in touch with uh, Coach Smart and Joey and a lot of those other guys who were part uh, of that squad. So it was, it was special, I think, for the entire family. 
That's awesome. Uh, on Instagram, it's Schneider Speaks. On Twitter, it's Schneider Speak. There is no S, but Instagram, Schneider Speaks. Uh, Dave, talk to me a little bit about your dad, all those coaching positions. It must have been exciting for you, but was there a lot of movement on your end? Were you always the new kid to the high school, or how did that all work out? I think it was a blessing and a curse growing up. It was very unique. We coached at six different schools, so we moved a lot. And it's not moving down the street. There were cross-country moves all the way from Virginia to the Midwest to the, to almost close to Texas. And then you get into the north, uh, the northwest area, and then even Southern California growing up and close to L.A. So I always had to play the new kid. And even today, I think that's why I excelled so much at making new friends so quickly, just because I always had to reintroduce myself to people and figure out who I was in that type of environment. So there always was some form of excitement because you get to see new parts of the country, but you also have to leave old friends and old places behind. So I think one of the things that really allowed me to be able to do is become very relatable to the people I engage with. So it's very funny, even when I go and have conversations with people today, I always ask them, where are you from? And yeah. they'll ask me the same thing. I'm like, pick a state, I'll drop a pin map <laughs> on it. I've either been to it or been through it. So I feel like it's at the time, it was very challenging because I was also in those teen years where I was still trying to figure out who I am, who I want to be. But looking back on it in my early 30s, I say it's it's one of probably the best blessings just because it allowed me to experience all types of cultures and allowed me to be a lot more confident in crowd big crowds where I have to go introduce myself and meet new meet, meet new people so it's a blessing and a curse but looking back on it it was definitely for the better that's really good and uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about specific basketball stuff and then we'll hit your story and what you're doing now yeah. but uh, you yeah. mentioned Tubby Smith being at Tulsa seemingly a big name for basketball guys. How old were you when your dad worked with Tubby and what was that experience like for you? So special feeling because they made the sweet 16 um, when Tubby was the head coach there. My dad was assistant under him. So this was in the early nineties. So I was five, six years old. Um, this is also when they were playing um, some big schools in 93, they lost to Arkansas who went on to win yeah. the actual tournament. Um, under Norm Richardson, which was fantastic. So it was it was cool because that's when I really started to get involved into basketball in the early 90s where the GOAT, Michael Jordan, was still doing his thing. And also Duke, I got heavily involved into Duke basketball and really started watching the game really heavily, especially since my dad was doing well. Tubby Smith is actually my younger brother's godfather. So we know Donna and Tubby very, very well. Um, similar to Kevin Eastman, who was also part of that team, uh, also part of that squad, yeah. um, who's my, my little brother's named after. So, yeah, we've known the Smiths very, very, for a very long time. Um, Gigi, Saul, Brian, the entire family. So it was really special, I think, for that team, just because that's really when the Cinderella stories started to take off in sure. college basketball. Because you look at the early 80s, and obviously you have Texas Western and people like that that were starting to make these deep conference runs. But to do it on a national level where the, the tournament really hasn't changed as much as those early years where it's the 64, you still have to qualify the 16 to the one. It's really, it was really special to watch that type of team and the players that they had. And then not only that, but then a lot of the guys who co uh, played on that team got into coaching. So Pooh Williamson, Shea Seals, some of my all time favorite players of all time are actually coaching now 
Um, and they still post on occasion. I'm friends with them all on social media and they still post on occasion memories or their jerseys or things like that. So it's really special when you see it as a five or six year old. And then you see these guys who are now coaching in college basketball and sharing that same legacy and that same experience that they had. It's very memorable to, uh, to, to reminisce with those guys. Oh, definitely. David Schneider makes some time. Schneiderspeaks.com. Schneiderspeaks.com is where you can certainly find more information about him. David, uh, for for me, uh, I'm here in Vermont. It's not really a hotbed of uh, basketball, although all kids love to play. But one thing that I think I was fortunate, I got to coach my kids for several years from middle school, a little, little bit in high school. Did your dad ever coach you? And if not, would you have wanted your dad to be your coach? Oh, he did. During the uh, after he officially retired, he coached me during the AAU high school uh, tournament. So we got to travel to places like Vegas and the Southern Cal and there, Los Angeles, and some of the greatest stories. It, it really his style was very similar to a Bobby Knight style, which at the time when you're going through it again, it's not easy because you don't like it, y'all that, and you want to keep that father son relationship strong, but. He also instilled a different level of toughness in me at that age to where anytime I would walk in, it didn't matter if I was the strongest or the fastest, best shooter. He instilled a different level of toughness to me where I would always be the guy that would be willing to run through a wall. And I think his instillness of me at that early age allowed, propelled me to become a very strong high school and college basketball player. And I would not have had the same career if he would not have pushed me at that young age. Um, and a lot of we it was very special. We had a lot of um, a lot of great players on my high school AU team. Uh, so Kendall Wallace played for UNLV. Uh, we had um, Harper Kemp who played for Cal, Lawrence Westbrook who played for um, Minnesota uh, under Tubby Smith when he was at Minnesota. So we it'd be funny we'd walk into a gym in Vegas and one of my fondest memories we played Southern Cal All Stars with Kevin Love and Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Westbrook. I'm sorry, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. And we would only have six, seven guys. My dad didn't like to take a lot of guys. None of all of our guys barely could touch the rim. And then you'd have Russell Westbrook or Kevin Love doing these 360 windmills because they're future NBA guys. But we'd be just small, fast, average 100 points a game. We every we were the fan favorite. Everybody loved to watch us. And we would beat those teams. We beat Southern Cal All Stars with two pros on it by 26. So I wow. think my dad still had that fire in him to coach and try and pull off these upsets. But yeah, it was, it was fun, uh, especially looking back on it now, how many great players I got to play against. But my dad was a big part of uh, my career and how tough I was. So I'm sure he looked back on it, probably saw, saw a different thing than I did. But, yeah, be upsetting some of these some of these bigger names is pretty special. With that, uh, He had a lot to do with it, too. Now, you've alluded to uh, playing at a high level. Question for you, because, again, Vermont, AAU, I think any time you can play basketball is great for development. However, I think mm -hmm. some students, they only know how to play or want to play if there's a referee and a scoreboard, which pickup basketball has just kind of gone to the wayside. However, the question is that your high school experience versus your AAU experience, can you compare, mm -hmm. contrast the two? So Brophy College Prep is one of the premier high schools in the state of Arizona. So I felt like I got to compete against the top players in high school. With that being said, I also felt my exposure at a higher level really excelled my college basketball career because I got to go to Nike Jamboree camp. Um, I got to go to the Adidas Super 64 in Vegas. So I got to compete against the best. 
And one of the sayings that I say quite often is you'll never find a cheetah in a dog race. Mm -hmm. And what point being is you have to compete against the best to become the best. You have to learn from the best to become the best. So I feel playing against guys like Kevin Love, playing against guys like Russell Westbrook, who are still playing today at a very high level, I had to raise my game to compete against them. So even from playing in pickups and things like that, it helped me a lot growing up because I have an older brother who's two years older. So I had to play at his level. My dad instilled that in me. So I had to play two years above my grade, which if similar to my dad coaching me, if I didn't have my older brother, I'd give him a lot of credit. And I told him any trophy I ever got, your name should be right, yeah. right with it because of how much it helped me improve as a player and being mentally tough and physically tough. Because anytime that you have someone who's just constantly beating down on you and I remember even pickup where we'd just be playing out, out outside and he would give me a 10 point lead playing to 11 by one and I'd get the ball and then I'd miss a shot and then it'd be 11 to 10 and he'd win that game. So, but I think those types of things, when you're able to elevate your game, anybody and very similar to the cheetah dog race analogy is anybody can win a race they're supposed to win. But when you have to win a race, you're intended to lose you have to run faster to beat the person that's faster than you. And I think that is very, very true with even people in Vermont. Up and down 95 in the Mid-Atlantic, there's so much talent. You have, yeah. you know, D DMV area, the D.C. teams, and the Big Shots gets up into the Virginia area. I think, yes, you can stay into the Northeast, but if you're going to raise your game, you have to play against the best in order to do that. So I highly encourage anybody watching this. There's plenty of availability with tournaments and camps in summer. I would not – pigeonhole yourself by only playing locally. I think you have to compete against the best just to see where your game's at. And it might be at that high level where you may be one of the best players in the state, but yeah, I'm the best player in Vermont, but it, could I play against a guy from New York or play, can I play against a guy from Virginia or can I play against a guy from Florida? That's one thing where I got to see, which I'm really thankful for my dad because he exposed me to so much where I got to play against the best to see where my game was. So yeah, if I had 25 points against Russell Westbrook, I'm at least comfortable, maybe not athletically, but it also at the time, even against North Carolina and NIT, when it got to that point where I had to play those guys at a high level, I didn't back down to those guys because I was accustomed to it. So that's the type of thing that I think that any player at that level up in the Northeast, they have to expose themselves. It's great to play locally. I think it shows you where you are to your, local competition, but you definitely need to expand your game to play against other people. So no, play as many great. people as you can. Oh, for sure. My brother is uh, two years older than me. He's 6'3". I'm pushing 5'10", pushing 5'10". <laughs> but I was young enough and dumb enough to think, hey, I played against my brother who, you know, was really good. I'll play against anybody. And you just learn not to back down, but what it takes yeah. to uh, find your fit on a team. Hey, so how tall are you, David? 6'2". So Six just... Describe your game a little bit. Are you just a straight shooter? Are you a Steve Nash? Do a little, what would you say? So I was a combo guard. Um, my first two years and even most of high school, I was more of a point guard. And then my junior and senior year of college, Coach Shaver asked me to, to adjust positions. We had a read and react offense. So a lot of movement, very Princeton yeah. style, very Richmond style. So it favored shooters. And we had every... We have every kind of screen you can imagine. I think I posted about it on social. Flare screens, down screens, back screens, you name it. It was a shooter's dream, to be honest with you. It was a nightmare to play against. 
Um, so I moved transition more to a shooter. And I, even at William and Mary, I set the all time three record and also single season three records. So I broke it a special feeling too. I broke it the all time record at Delaware and my, aunt was the head of fundraising there and she got to keep my game ball. So one of the three game balls I have on my shelf is the NIT ball, which I don't know if I was allowed to keep, but I kept it anyway. And then also the three point record uh, ball from Delaware and then a, another Michael Jordan sign ball. So I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. He's a huge inspiration for me, oh, but that was, sure. a, that was a big one for, to break the all time in single season three record. So back up a little bit when you were uh, looking for William and Mary or describe that recruitment process, what were their top schools? Were you disappointed? Were you just really excited? What was that process like for you? So I was heavily recruited out of Arizona um, by a lot of different big time schools. I know Leonard Hamilton from Florida State showed a lot of heavy interests. Um, the two schools I think that really came down to the finish line for me was Michigan, where Tommy Amaker was the head coach at the yeah. time, who's now at Harvard, and then Tony Shaver. Michigan, very similar to Florida State. I was very high interest, but one thing about college basketball, you really try to recruit as much in-state as possible. And they had Tommy, uh, Coach Amaker had a, another in-state prospect that they were heavily interested in, but also had a lot of other – that player in particular had a lot of other interests from a lot of schools. And it came down really between Michigan versus William & Mary. Um, wow. For me, it really were just those two schools. My grandfather, Pops, I give him a lot of credit, who was the one who really talked me into going to William & Mary and committing on the spot because it was either commit to Tony Shaver and the tribe or wait it out for Michigan. And he said, Dave, he said, D, Michigan had the Fab Five, bud. You know, they've had a lot of winning seasons. They have a very rich tradition in winning and if you go there, I think you potentially would just be another face in the crowd. But if you commit to William Mary, I think you have a chance to really help change that program and turn that program around. And said, so you're going to make history one day, kid, and it's going to be special to watch. And it's either big fish, small pond or small fish, big pond. And for me, I was sold. I committed to Coach Shaver on the spot. And it was special, too, given the tradition of where William Mary was before I got there and then where they are now. Um, and it hit me the other day when I was kind of doing some research on it for the book that I'm writing. And a lot of it's based on that 2010 or just my college experience yeah. to outline the storyline of the book is very, um, it runs a very similar fashion storyline to my college career with this rise, fall, comeback story. So William and Mary is one of the oldest basketball programs in the country. The program was started in 1905. Wow. So from 1905 to my senior year in 2010, William Mary only had five 21 seasons. So almost 105, 104 years, only five 21 seasons. From my the 22 wins in my senior year to today, so the last 11 years, the program's had five 21 seasons. So to do what Pops kind of said that you have an opportunity to really help change history was very special for me compared to any other school I could have gone to. So that was a huge, huge um a huge pearl for me going through college is to be able to be a part of history. And that was very special. Well, that leads to a uh, maybe philosophical question and mm -hmm. a deeper question for you to take that advice and to apply it in real life. I think as you being a motivational speaker for me, being a pastor, doing some other mm -hmm. speaking, sometimes kids are like, Oh, that's great, but that doesn't apply to me. How did you develop that within yourself to use that filter of what somebody told you so you could apply it 
so you could take the best wisdom from their advice and uh, have it, you know, in your toolbox? Yeah, I think our words have incredible power. I think the words we live by, I just got done with Kevin Eastman's book, Why the Best are the Best, and he really highlights the power of words and what we implement into our life. I think very similar to what I'm trying to accomplish with my book is to help people win on and off the court. And how we do that is to do something good or stop doing something bad. I think all of us have something that we're trying to achieve that's positive in our life. And I think we also have things that we're trying to stop doing that's negative in our life that's dragging us down. The power of words and what we really hold on to is very important during those times of temptation and during those times of struggle. I The Bible is my favorite book, so I really lean on a lot of the words John 3.16 and all the way across, even when you get into Matthew 19.26, Philippians 4.13, any struggle that I go through, we always have this rise, fall, comeback story. That's just a part of who we are as people. And a lot of the words I usually held on to are are things that I've learned from my father, my grandfather, Jesus, all these types of words where we always have to overcome some form of adversity to get to where we want to go. That's just a part of life. It's it's going to be a roller coaster ride, but I think part of that allows us to pursue past temporary downfalls or temporary pain because everything, and that's why I love my story so much, is because I hope my stories can inspire success. I hope that my stories can help you win. I hope my stories can really keep you going to do something good or stop doing something bad. And I've experienced that a lot myself. And words that come to mind, and I was talking to my wife, three words to describe myself. And we had this conversation literally yesterday. And she said, I said, if I had three words, I would say unique. Uh, I always try to see the world differently. I would say another word is relatable. And then the third word was tough. And she said unique was one, authentic was another one. And then childlike, because I love Disney and all these (laughs) other things. I always try to keep a positive attitude. But I think these words that describe us, you have to find one or two or maybe three words that really will, you can write on a piece of paper, you can keep it on social media, keep it on your phone. Bible quotes, great for me. Jeremiah 29, 11 is my favorite Bible quote. So anytime I go through any adversity or struggle, I know God has a plan for my life. And that's the path that God wants me to go down, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think if you find those positive words and you find those ways of encouragement, it will really help you. Get, we get to you where you want to go and help you keep focused, but it's also helping you rise, but also to avoid the fall or even if you're at the fall, how am I going to come back from this? So I think words have a very, very powerful, um, I think words are very powerful in our life and it's just which words kind of best fit you. And every word is going to be different. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Don't try and fit yourself into be who you want to be, not who others want to see. And that's very, very important is I had an older brother, I have a younger brother, I have a dad. I could easily have followed in the footsteps or worn the shoes, but sometimes other people's shoes don't fit. And I can't fit into Shaq's shoes. That's size 22, I wear a size 12, right? So those are the types of things that every word is make it true to who you are. And those are the powerful words that are going to be able to help you through those tough times and keep you focused and get you to where you want to go in life. So that's what I would probably say to that. So the title of your book, Storytime, how difficult was it for you to choose the title? Not at all, to be honest. I I started uh, really coming up with stories 
And I think of back when I was a kid and just the memorable life lessons I wanted to have, it always came back to this story time, storyline, storybook theme. And what I do, there's really four categories in particular, two that really are the outline of the book. It's objects and pop culture references. So objects, uh, some of my favorites are things like pizza or hats. It's things we can touch, taste, feel, those kinds of see those kinds of this everyday objects. And then pop culture references. I, I love movies and TV shows. So I always try and take something like that. I wrote one recently about Mortal Kombat because I played video games when I was in the 90s. Other ones, I wrote one about Back to the Future. So part of the main reason why story time, I really, for whatever reason, I think we all use analogies, metaphors, idioms every day. And we don't even think about it. And we probably, people listening to this is probably use one today. Hit the nail on the head. Like we always use these things we don't think about. But we use them for a reason because they're a part of us. So I like taking things that things like Starbucks or coffee or hats. We, some people might even more to put on a hat today if it's cold up there, if it's raining. So every time, and I, one of my favorite stories, and what um, which really hit home today, I was on a podcast, the Winning Way podcast earlier. And Zach Shank, one of my good friends, he's an athletic director in North Carolina. Just had his firstborn daughter. Um, he's a newly newly appointed athletic director. So he wears a lot of hats. And I asked Zach, I was like, how, how many hats do you think you, you have in your closet? He said, about 20. I was like, would you ever wear them all at the same time? He said, no. I was like, why wouldn't you wear them all at the same time? He said, because I look like an idiot. And I said, exactly, exactly why you should not wear all the hats at one time. You got to pick at. I said, the, the saying that I used was, we all wear a lot of hats, but the most important hat is the one currently on your head. So you're at the, when you're at work, you got your AD hat on. When you're at home, you got your husband or dad hat on. And that's the only hat you wear. So leave your phone by the bedside and you're a dad right now. And those little things. So every time he puts on a hat, he sends me like pictures or things. I ask him how, which hat he has on right now and things like that just to keep him motivated. But I try to really use my stories to, again, to inspire the success. And I hope they help. But yeah, the title was very, very easy for me to, to come up with. And then the book is, is, um, I've got a publisher. I can't tell you which one yet, but uh, publisher in the works. It should be uh, finished writing this year. And then next year is when it's going to be published. So you will have hard copies ready to go for this time next year. So really excited for the release of it. Yeah. We'll get you back on once those hard copies are available for the, yeah. for, for you, the writing process, have you always journaled written? Did it come naturally for you? Did you have to get a coach or someone to assist you with the writing process? Luckily, my wife is very talented. Uh, she had part of that as part of her background and major at South Carolina. So she is very, very wise with her words. A lot of it's just trial and error. Um, I really started every object or pop culture reference. I always try to find a deeper meaning to it and asking yeah. why this would be impactful to a college athlete or to a person. Um, I always try to have two life, like a little bit of an intro at the very beginning, tell you kind of why I'm writing it or where, where it kind of came from. And then just two memorable life lessons. A lot of people use, sometimes they use acronyms like ABC and other people have like a laundry list of 10 or 10 or 20 things to remember. I always felt two lessons, two life lessons were most impactful because we always, we live in things of two. We have two eyes, two ears, two hands. It's easier to hold. So these two life lessons, odds are you're going to remember at least one of them. So similar to the hats, one of the quotes, every time you put on a hat, you might just remember that one little thing. And even if you can't remember the exact words, you might remember the feeling of what the lesson right. was about. So 
I've always tried to keep it super short too. I know my audience, college kids, high school kids, try and try and keep it as small as a tweet just because it's easier to read. <laughs> so try to keep it as short as possible. And then a lot of it's overshadowed, I think, with a lot of my biblical faith. I think God has a way of using us for his glory and he gives us all special abilities for whatever reason he gave me the ability to tell stories and i think god really wanted me to write this book and he he knows especially after last year a lot of people are struggling and i think he really wanted me to help as many people as i possibly could so stories i always say gives us incredible abilities and it's it gives us well even in talents it gives us talents and it's our uh obligation to use them to glorify him so i think everything has very similar to the Old Testament, all kind of leads up to the New Testament with the big guy coming. So I always try to to implement a lot of those faith-based things in my writing as well. I appreciate that so much. Uh, what is your favorite movie? Uh, Greatest Showman. Oh, like, we, we just watched that. We enjoyed it. That was really good. Yeah, Greatest Showman. I, I love the music, man. I'm a Hugh Jackman fan. That goes way back even to the Wolverine days yeah. back in the, the late 90s. But yeah, the music in that is just sensational. So I love, love Great Showman. And I love uh, Braveheart for my serious movie because I saw that. There's some phenomenal quotes in there. But uh, favorite comedy of all time, mine is Dumb and Dumber. This is just like useless. But uh, what's your favorite comedy? Wow. That's a good one. Um, I would say Wedding Crashers would be up there because at the time in high school, I knew every single word to that movie. So I would say Wedding Crashers would probably be my favorite. And I'm a little older than you, so I'm 46. And so uh, that would make sense, some of that that gap in uh, movie genre. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's tough because there, there are some great ones, but for whatever reason, that one always stuck out to me. So I'll go with Wedding Crashers. So David Schneider, SchneiderSpeaks.com, Instagram is Schneider Speaks, and Twitter is Schneider Speak without the yes. The name of the upcoming book is Storytime. So I just want to give you a couple moments. Uh, Carolina, so growing up in Vermont when I was in fifth grade and I had to choose a team, I had an uncle that lived in North Carolina. So I said, hey, let's go with the Tar Heels. I've not regretted it. They have broken my heart from time to time, but for you, <laughs> Several accomplishments. What are a couple that really stand out that not only do you like to speak about, maybe some that you hold close to the vest and you just know that uh, from going through that moment, it's really developed you as a man, a person, a husband, and uh, who you are today? I think anything that has first or second in school history, not only individual goals, but team goals, I think were very special for me. So Scholar Athlete of the Year, uh, CA Scholar Athlete of the Year is very impactful for me just because of how challenging of a school William & Mary was. So to be the first uh, player in William & Mary to ever win CA Scholar Athlete of the Year um, or second player win CA Scholar Athlete of the Year was very important for me. And then we made our two first ever CA championship games and second ever postseason appearance and playing against North Carolina, especially knowing my Michael Jordan history and how impactful he's been in my life. Um, I have always have to tell this story anytime I can fit it in. So in 1998, it was the last dance. It was his last year going to the flight school as an 11 year old kid, not knowing if I was ever going to see Michael again every year. And you can possibly see it. Um, some of those plaques in the back, um, those are actually from his camp. So every year, George Ravel and Michael Jordan would be standing up there to give out awards for 
the campers who win certain activities or contests. So three-point shooting or free throw shooting or uh, one-on-one, all these different awards. And knowing that it was the fable last dance, I may never see Michael again. I was determined to be – up until this point, I, the years up prior, I've never won an award. So this year I was like, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to win an award. And I won every single award pretty much you could possibly get. MVP, team camp, uh, trophy, one-on-one, free throw shooting. And when I got up there, George Ravelin had a list of names and Michael was giving his trophy to the kids. And these plaques are pretty big for 11-year-old kids. So I'm like, you know, two-arming it. And Michael looked at me with his big smile and he winks and he said, keep working hard, kid. You got a bright future. Hmm. And those... 11 words really had an impact on who I became as a basketball player. And my final game ever was against Michael Jordan's Tar Heels in 2010 NIT, the year after they won the championship, made seven threes against North Carolina against Roy Williams, a Hall of Fame coach. We played in Carmackle Arena, the same floor Jordan played on. And then Brad Nesler and Jimmy Dykes, my two favorite commentators ever were on the comms. So I feel like it was everything leading up to that, to that game. And I remember holding the ball that's still in my office and just literally crying on it in the locker room of realizing how impactful that the time I got to spend with Michael Jordan when I was 11 years old. So getting to that point in my career is very special, but um, playing against North Carolina and even leading up to that as all the accolades and awards we not only individually got, but also as a team was very special for me. So yeah, I've, I've a, even the glass frame that comes in the case to hold the ball has a UNC logo. So I, uh, I got to give my, my nod and respect to the Tarnals for sure. They're, they're a great program. Oh, for sure. Hey, so two questions. One uh, is relatively serious. The other is just a fun one to get you out on. And the first question yeah. is, you mentioned about people needing to be resilient. There's always a struggle. There's always some sort of trial. We often balk away from those, but those are the things that develop us. What would you say is the most memorable trial that you've had to endure and overcome? So I think one happened during college and other happened after college. I think when I went through the trials of my junior year, so my sophomore year, which is the outline of the book and it's the W is the format at the top. We made the CA championship first time in school history. My junior year heading into uh, another good season, Coach Shaver asked me to change positions. Um, and instead of accepting that role, I rejected the role. Hmm. And moving from point guard into a shooting guard, I even told Coach, I'm like, Coach, you recruited me as a point guard. I'm not a, I'm not a shooting guard. I'm, I'm your point guard. I just led you to a CA championship as the point guard. So I think my ego and not doing what was best for the team, I thought about transferring. I thought about quitting. We had the worst record I ever had as a basketball player. So we finished rolling with 10 wins that season. But I believe, and I even use a pizza story analogy, is similar to pizza being pizza, is hard times harden you. They make you stronger. They make you tougher. They make you better. And a lot of people avoid adversity because it's human nature to avoid pain. We don't like things that hurt us. But similar to pizza going through that fire is otherwise it'd be soft dough and the soft dough hardens in the fire. And instead of avoiding adversity, you have to run to it and run through it because it's only going to make you stronger. It's going to make you tougher. It's going to make you better from personal experience. If I would have transferred, if I would have ran for my problems, my junior year in college, I never would have had to play against in North Carolina or to break records or to do these things if I would have avoided adversity and ran through it, but I accepted my role. I said, coach Shaver, whatever you ask of me, I'll do. 
and I ran to it and I ran through it. And then some of my stories I use to this day and, and not only just the individual accolades, but the team accolades would not have happened if I would not have, if I would have avoided that adversity. So I always say, if you have problems, it's very easy to avoid them. And the only way to really face them is you have to, you can't conquer what you don't confront and you have to confront your problems and you have to confront adversity and you have to take everything head on. And it's only going to make you tougher. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you better. Guarantee the person you are in 2021 is stronger after what you went through in 2020. Yeah. So you have to go through that adversity. So that's what I would say to answer that one. So a book I'll recommend for you is a tempered resilience from Do Todd Bolsinger, tempered resilience phenomenon. I'll add it to my list. And it talks all about that. The last is a question I stole from Hernando Planos. Uh, you might know H, but yeah, coach, yeah. basketball coach and be contagious podcast. He always finishes his podcast with if, or in your case, when, when the feature film is made about your life, who plays you in that feature film? Oh man. I don't even know if they're going to be around when I'm at that age. Um, mm. That's a good one. So while you think, I'll just give you mine and people that yeah, I got to hear your podcast. Advice. That's a good one. I don't even know who would play me. I got to well, I always say, because we look so much alike, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I want Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play <laughs> Jeff Fuller in that feature film. So uh, so that's mine. Yeah, I would I would, I would, would say Henry Cavill. I would probably be closest. I'm thinking, like, all right, who has dark, who has dark hair and dark eyes in Hollywood that I think would be – I mean, if I'm really being honest, I would love Tom Hanks to play me, but I'll, I don't know if he's still going to be around <laughs> by the time I get to the end of that one. Yeah, I would say if I got anybody in their prime to play me, I would want Tom Hanks to play me, especially at that age. I, I think he would he would do me justice. So if I had to go anybody, I'd go, I'd go Tom Hanks. All right, the second part to this question, it's an add-on. Who plays your love interest, or in your case, your wife in that feature film? And for me, my wife knows. She shakes her head every time. But I say Halle Berry because Dwayne The Rock Johnson yeah. and Halle Berry playing my family, uh, I'd watch it. might be fake, but I'd watch it. So my, my wife absolutely loves Blake Lively. So I think it would be a cardinal sin not to have Blake Lively in conversation. So I'm going to say Blake Lively would play her, and I think she'd be very humbled by that. So Tom Hanks and Blake Lively, that would be a very unique combo to watch. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun. I guarantee it's going to – one of them are going to win Academy Awards, and we'll see what happens. Hey, David, let's keep in touch. Thanks again for making the time. Absolutely. I know you mentioned that uh, you've never been up to Vermont. So when things open up, we'd love to get you to come up and share, not just with some of the students that we're involved with, but some of the adults could really learn a lot from your story as would well. absolutely love it. Anytime. Hey, thanks again, David. And that's David Schneider, Makes Up Time, SchneiderSpeaks.com. Instagram is SchneiderSpeaks and Twitter, SchneiderSpeak. We thank you all for making the time. You can find this Jay Fuller Interviews on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Jay Fuller Interviews and now the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, take the time. Some great stories just like David's right up there. Thanks all. We'll talk to you again soon.